Hello, Jeff Johnston, host of the Living Undeterred podcast. I am so pleased to talk to Dr. Carrie Vogel-Gisang. Um, had to work on that a few times, I'm not going to lie. Um, I met her a few months back, uh, like I do a lot of people, either through social media or um, an introduction from a fellow coworker. But I ran into her doing some research on her employer. Um, and I got to get this right. It's the Scanlon Center for School Mental Health, correct? Yep. It's no, a long great. one. It's a mouthful. And since we're big advocates in the Gen Z space, that school mental health really perked my ears up. Like I got to reach out. And then you and I ended up kind of having a conversation, uh, which led to more conversations. And so here we are, the spotlight's on you. I want to hear about the Center for Mental Health. I want to hear about why you do what you do and what is important. I always tell people, when you find your why, you'll find your way. Oh, yeah, that's true. And I love that quote. And it's like, it took me a long time to find my real kind of calling in life, what my passion is. And it took tragic events. But for a lot of us, that's what it takes is some type of an event to shake us at the core. And we say, okay, I thought one way was where I wanted to go, but now I'm here. But talk a little bit about you and your why, and, um, and we'll just go from there. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so I always tell people that I'm a first grade teacher or that I'm an elementary school teacher because I think that's still just like really near and dear to my heart as being a, an elementary school or a K through 12 teacher. I graduated from the University of Iowa with a bachelor's in elementary education in 2001. Um, and I went on and got my master's and my PhD in special education, but with an emphasis on um, social emotional behavioral health for the most part. Um, and since that time, I've really shifted my focus to um, school mental health or social, emotional, behavioral mental health um, systems within schools and how they work or not work <laughs> for, mm -hmm. for educators and, and for students. And so um, my part of the Scanlon Center for School Mental Health is the professional development and training piece for educators. So mm -hmm. um, we put together lots of different types of learning experiences and training opportunities for educators focused um, mostly on social, emotional, behavioral, and mental wellness. Um, uh, but, you know, we do, we do lots of things with school districts. We work closely with the Department of Education here um, mm -hmm. in the state of Iowa. Um, so that's kind of what I do, my why. Um, <laughs> I, there's this, I mean, there's lots of things, right, in terms of my why. Um, you know, I have two boys. Um, they're always my why, for sure. And I... How old are they again? Yeah. So Griffin is a junior here at the University of Iowa. He's 22. Awesome. Well, that, I just lied to you. He's 21. Why did I say 22? <laughs> he probably has a birthday. He has a birthday pride coming up. <laughs> he's 21 still. Um, and then Charlie is a senior at City High and he's 18. Um, okay. Yeah. And we know we've been through our own stuff in our family as well. Um, and, you know, they don't, they haven't given me their permission to like kind of Oh, share their stuff. So I yep. won't, but yep. um, we've been through our own stuff in our family mm -hmm. in lots of different ways. Um and also, I can tell you that once when I was teaching uh, as an elementary classroom teacher, it was very clear to me immediately um, when I was teaching in elementary uh, classrooms that teachers really weren't quite prepared to to uh, know how to interact with, build relationships with, connect with the different systems, not only just in our communities, but within the system of, of the school right. they're even working in right. to, to support families um, who are struggling in various ways. And that was really interesting to me. Like, how do I do this? Because I know that this family is struggling in these particular areas and that's what's creating this roadblock for different for, for learning anything really, you know, because of these different issues that they're having in their family. So that was really the thing that started me to think about, okay, I want to study this more. I want to try to help figure this out and we need to train teachers in a different way. Right. Do you, do you see, um, the breakdown of the family as an impetus for a lot of the problems, but there was breakdowns in the families back when I was in high school too. Mm -hmm. And we didn't seem to have the issues that we have today. So do you think that's part of the problem or a big part of the problem or something that, you know, probably isn't part of the problem? 
So this is the million dollar question. Right. You know, I, I wish <laughs> yep. that I could give you just a really straight answer about this so we could tackle this problem and maybe maybe even better ways than what we are. But right now, all that we can really do is look at data. And, you know, when we're looking at data that tells us that 16% of Iowa's youth ages 12 to 17 are have some kind of a mental health disorder or issue that's happening and that one in i'm looking at stats right now one is 16 percent. 16 percent. i have a i pulled wow. up a bunch of stats for you actually i wonder what it was a decade ago yeah so i have that for you let me let me move my i was looking at some of these stats a little bit earlier i'd be i'd be interested to see it's probably under 10 percent. i'm guessing maybe not maybe not a decade ago but yeah i'm trying to find um i should have i should have marked this a little bit better let me go back here so so yeah this is a good one. And this is a new report from the CDC that actually just came out, Jeff, on February 13th. So this is all really, really new data. So let me share okay. some of this. With I'd like you. to see that report. Is yeah. That I'll, in fact, I'll send you the link. Okay. That'd be that. great. Yeah. So nearly one in three or 30% of our youth, and this is uh, ages 15 to 19, by the way. Uh, one in three? One in three, 30% seriously considered attempting suicide, which is up nearly 60% from a decade ago. So one in five, about 18% experienced sexual violence in the past year, which is up 20% since 2017. Um, and more than one in, in 10 or 14% had been forced to, had, had, had some kind of forced sexual encounter, which is up mm. to 20, uh, 27% since 2019. F uh, over half, 52% of our LGBT. Q plus students had recently experienced poor mental health, but even worse, one in five of them report that they've tried to, they've attempted suicide in the past year. See, what gets me is the end of all these statistics, you know, the past two years, the past one year, these aren't like 20 year statistics. These are just all recent. It's, it's, and it's just going, you know, when we first, what, what do you, man, it's just, yeah. It, it, uh, yeah. And, you know, uh, one of the last big reports that came out in October of 2021, these numbers are even worse than that report. And we've, you know, pulled out of the pandemic for the most part, mm -hmm. you know, we're not living in isolation anymore anyway. So, but the, the important point of that is that we're not really seeing improvement. Right. We're not even seeing flatline numbers. No. They're just getting worse. Yeah. yeah. And then you break it down, you know, in terms of race and ethnicity, that mm. those numbers are, there's discrepancies there too that can be addressed. So is there an opportunity for us to simplify some of the solutions and maybe just do things like get back to nature? You know, just oh, things where, things where you could just take your shoes off and walk through the park, you know, just, I mean, things that are free that, that are provided by our universe. And it's like, I've just been real wondering, uh, I sit here, my studio's in my basement. I look out my back window and there's, well, there's a squirrel on my bird feeder right now, but, um, <laughs> other, other than that, you know, there's houses over here and, you know, I just, I don't hear the laughter of kids. I don't see football. There's a big guy. Sky has this huge yard and my brothers would be out there every freaking night. Yeah. We'd be out there with neighbor kids playing football and playing pickup ball. And it's like, I see basketball in driveways. I never see kids shooting baskets. I mean, it's horrific for me. Absolutely horrific that kids and even adults, I don't see many adults outside anymore. And mm -hmm. you wonder why obesity weights are the highest they've ever been in not just American history, but in world history, you know, yeah. and our, our consumption, the foods we eat. It, there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of things we can point fingers at, you know? Mm -hmm. So this is a great question. And yes, there's actually a lot of work being done in this area. In fact, my colleague and I, Dr. Will Calkill Barons and myself just recently created a program and it's called the Global Educator Wellness Ambassador Program. We've partnered with UI Wild, which is our school of the wild, which is housed in the College of Education. And part of this program is giving uh, teachers some training and experience for taking kids outside and teaching mm -hmm. them outside and can just can making simple connections to nature in ways that kids used to probably just organically do right. as they were growing we just up. just did. Right. But now it feels like we need to teach them how to do it. 
and Mm -hmm. carve out space and time for them to do it. We also have a couple projects going on right now um, in Norway and I'm starting a new one in Finland. And, you know, they have a system and, you know, they have reports of really high reports of of happiness um, and of well-being uh, when you Mm -hmm. look at, um, you know, survey data. And, you know, they have systems where they have like on Thursdays, you know, they have national curriculums. They do all their learning outside. They don't go inside. They don't, it it can be negative 10 and these, these kids are outside and they, you know, and so it's really, it it is something for us to think about, like, how do we get phones and technology kind of away from kids for a while so that they can be present and mindful in the moment. Mm -hmm and learn how to navigate and problem solve and critical think in like natural spaces, not only just on their own, but in community with people who are sharing that space with them. Well, you and I were talking before we went on air about this magic pill concept that Mm -hmm. Gen Z, or I won't, I won't say Gen Z, heck us adults are just as bad. You know, we have high cholesterol, boom, there's a statin for that. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, we have attention deficit, boom, there's Adderall. It's like, you know, we don't think about maybe changing our diet, changing our sleep, changing our mind, maybe these things first. Yeah. And if that doesn't work, then pop the pill, let's say. But we're we're like getting preconditioned to pop the pill first because that's less work. Yep. And we got into this mess over many years. And anybody that thinks that we're going to get out of it in a short amount of time is just naive and yeah. they're just not realistic. And I think kids today are like, you know, you know, you talked about asking somebody, hey, how's your mental health or are you depressed? It's like, I don't think that should be a yes or no. I think the question's asked wrong. Mm-hmm. It's more, where are you on the scale today? You know, or, you know, like that pain scale they had in the hospitals, which is yeah. an issue in, in and of itself. But, you know, where are you? It's not, are you depressed or not? It's mm-hmm. a spectrum. Are you, are you having a good day? Are you a little down? Are you a little up? I mean, maybe rephrase it instead of saying, are you depressed is probably the worst possible way to ask a child, how you doing today? Absolutely. You know, there's that quote and I don't know who first said it. So, you know, listeners, you know, if you, if you know, then let us know, because I don't want to be taking something that from someone that isn't mine, but there's some, there's, there's a quote out there that is, I think so perfect in summarizing what you just said, which is something to the tune of, you know, happiness is not the absence of problems. Happiness Mm -hmm. is this having the skill set and ability to successfully solve problems. And because problems are problems are issues Every single day, we have issues or roadblocks or things that happen every day that are in an unexpected way that might feel like our life is being derailed or that that was a punch mm-hmm. to the gut or that made that hurt my feelings or and it, the thing of it is, is that life is full of all of those spectrums of feelings like there's no every day, every day. There's not I, I know, one, one of my biggest pet peeves is when I hear people say things like, well, that's a negative feeling. There's not a, that's not true. Right. That's not true. Feelings are feelings and they're, they're, they're valid and, and, and they serve a purpose. And often they're not necessarily you. You're not your thoughts. You're not your feelings. No, exactly. And sometimes they're, you know, sometimes when we get scared or anxious or worried, that's good. Our body is triggering us to like, okay, slow down, stop. This could be dangerous. Like, let's think through this. Right. But when we like ruminate in that and get stuck and we don't have the skill set to like connect with people or to be mindful in the moment or to use mm-hmm. the rational part of our brain um, mm-hmm. to, to talk ourselves through these things, that's when we start to experience issues and start to experience problems. So you probably know more than a lot of my guests for this next question, but where does the prefrontal cortex come into play with all this? Yeah. So like, that's the p- part of your brain. That's like your, what we would say, like the, the rational part of your brain, you know, when, mm-hmm. and, and that's also like one of the last parts of your brain to develop. 
but I, yeah, like 26 roughly, or it gets, seems like it gets moved back. They keep, pretty soon it'll be 55. Yeah, no, no, I did hear, I was part of this like neuroscience group last year and it had been moved back. I mean, they quoted something like 27 or 28, I think now for male, for men, for men on average, on average. Right, right. Um, so, so, you know, that's the part of your brain, you know, when they talk about like flipping your lid, right? Like if you think about your brain, that's exactly what it's, what you're doing when you're kind of feeling out of control. So like that part of your brain is flipped. And so your frontal cortex isn't working anymore. And your amygdala where your emotions all come from is in control. And so you're, you're just working on emotions and, and you're not really thinking real rationally or intentionally about like how to manage these thoughts and feelings that you're experiencing. So we, you know, we want to give students some practice and some skill set to, to work on and teachers. We have to give teachers mm-hmm. that practice too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I've, always, I've got the utmost respect for teachers. I think that's such a hard job to be able to be a chameleon. You got one kid that comes from maybe a really good loving family and there's no abuse. And then you got the next kid that comes from a dysfunctional family with a lot of substance abuse. You got a kid that is maybe, maybe African-American, you got a kid who's gay and it's like all pulled in one classroom. Boy, what a tough job for a teacher just to, just to teach the curriculum, let alone babysit and monitor and motivate and inspire. And yeah. it's tough. I, and teachers have one of the hardest jobs I've always thought them and police officers have some of the toughest jobs on the planet, you know, yeah. people that, that protect us. You know, Jeff, you said something to me before we started the show today, what that <clears throat> I thought was really interesting. Um, you know, you were mentioning, you were telling me a little bit about an experience that you had, and you said the mm-hmm. reason, one of the reasons why you had such a good experience is because there was this like trusting community that was developed mm-hmm. or created. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I immediately, I was, I was smiling when you were talking yeah. about this because I was making connections to what we try to teach teachers now um, in our teacher preparation program at Iowa and through professional development in, in the Scanlon Center and Baker Teacher Leader Center, which is how to build trusting community and relationships with all kinds of people in your mm-hmm. classroom, which is not, and it's just not an easy thing to do. Right. But it's at the core of teaching. It, it has to happen in order for students to want to actually come to your class. And that's another yeah. issue that we could talk about is chronic absenteeism. Those numbers are I'd love to because chart. I'm completely <laughs> oblivious to that. Yeah. I, I don't even, I couldn't even tell you. So like, let's, let's go down that road. Um, so, you know, when I went to school, I can only compare back in the eighties, you know, kind of how that worked. I know my kids, uh, when they were in school, they've had fairly good attendance. Um, so you're saying that right now on average, um, it's pretty bad for it's pretty bad most schools. Yeah. So we're, we're running some sessions starting this summer and all the way through, um, academic year of 2023, 2024. It's hard to, it's like hard to, it's weird to say that 2024 already um, about chronic absenteeism and different things that school systems can do to get kids to start to come back to school. After COVID, we have found that many kids aren't coming back. And if they come back, they come back really sporadically. Um, Why do you think this is? You think they're kind of using the COVID excuse that maybe, Oh, I got symptoms. The school said I need to stay home. You think there's some of that going on or. Well, I think that some of our preliminary data that we are looking at, and again, this is preliminary because we've never quite experienced something around chronic absenteeism that we're experiencing right now. Hmm. And there's a couple things I think playing into this after COVID, I think students started to think, I don't need to go there. Like why? Like mm-hmm. they're not stealing. They're, they don't even think it's it's necessary. They don't think it's um, relevant. Um, right. They got used to just being at home. Does um, this apply to college too? This is a this is applying to college too. You know, when you look at wow. college applications across the board, they're really down. Yeah. Hmm. You know, and there's a reason for that too. You know, when kids kids nowadays have grown. You know, this generation of kid that kids who are moving into college, their whole lives, you have to remind our, we have to remind ourselves, they have been listening to us talking about student loan debt and how crippling it is and the problems that we have with it. 
many of them who could even go to college are telling us, I'm not going to do it because my parents can't pay for it and I'm not racking up student loan debt. <clears throat> so I'm going to do something else, which honestly isn't, I don't necessarily think that's a, that's a terribly bad thing. I really don't. Right. Um, I, I don't think that, that a four-year institution is for everybody. And boy, we yeah. really do need, you know, plumbers. We really do need, yep. we really do need people in, yeah. in these types of industries. So not even necessarily saying that's bad. I do think right. that um, <clears throat> it's one of the things that, that kids are thinking about these days. And the gap year idea, my, my youngest son went to, uh, well, he graduated from Prairie and was real active in show choir and music and, you know, high school was just, was great for him, but he got to his first year at Kirkwood and kind of went down a major he now regretted, you know, cause he, you know, just picked one that he didn't, he found out pretty quickly that really wasn't, it was kind of fun and easy in high school when it got to be really work, he didn't enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And actually just, you know, pulled back, decided to take a, a gap year, you know, go work and get some money. And, you know, I, I said, Hey, Roman, no problem, man. I mean, I'm all, I'm all for it. You know, it's um, not, it's not for everybody right now, but you know, the hope is that you go back, you know, but the further you're out, the statistics don't bode yeah. well that you'll go back to college. So, you know, in the next year, try to figure out a way to go back if you can, because yeah. you and I both know as parents that, you know, you, you do limit, you know, unless you are the plumber building houses or whatever, then if you want to go in and he's not, that's not his, that's not his forte. Mm -hmm. Um, he's going to be real limited in any type of fairly decent income. If he's not in, in the, you know, um, in those type of type of it's jobs true. without an education. And that's, you know? I think that's the part that, you know, in terms of our economy and what we're able to offer kids right now, or people coming into the workforce, that's, that's the tricky piece of this, you know, a you know, technical program is great for some people, but what about those kids that don't want to go that technical program right. route and also just are not wanting to be in a four-year college situation? Yeah, it's, I mean, I get it. And I think that that brings, uh, you know, lots of anxiety and stress to their lives and thinking, you know, what's wrong with me? Why don't I know what I want to do? Well, shit, Jeff, God, you know, did you know what you wanted to do when you were 19 years old? I didn't know what I wanted to do Friday. So <laughs> I, mean, I, don't know. I, I don't have to go back real far to find out. Um, so do you think kids feel safe at school? I mean, do you think kids worry today with all the shootings and all the, mm -hmm. seems like all the, just the insanity we have out there that the media likes to focus on that kids, you know, we're, we're, we're in a kind of a fear-based world and we need to move to more love and abundance. And I don't think kids feel that today. Yeah. So, uh, well, surveys would tell us our conditions for learning surveys would tell us that no, they don't feel safe at school. So, you know, educators and teachers are reporting low levels of safety, feelings of safety at, at their school. And that includes emotional safety and physical safety. Oh, so, I guess I never thought of the emotional. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So the bullying, things like that. Yep. When we, is that, is that as bad as it's ever been or was it worse oh. years ago? Ooh, yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, we, we're running another series. Um, so Chad Rose is the director of a, oh, I'm going to throw it's out of the University of Missouri. And it is like this amazing uh, bullying institute center, basically. Mm. And that's what they study. They study bullying in schools, cyberbullying. And he's been doing some professional development for us through the Scanlon Center. And his research and the stuff that that center is sharing, the data that they're sharing with us is fascinating, actually. I, I'd love to see it. Yeah. And how kids are creating relationships and whether mm. online and how that's really actually playing out for them in real life right. um, and impacting mental health and so on and so forth. So yeah, it's, it, the, that's a whole, like I said, like that's a whole nother piece of this talking through that. It's so much easy to bully today with social media, you know, cause mm -hmm. there was that, what that girl in Jersey was 14 and somebody filmed her getting hit down the hallway or something. Mm -hmm. And like two days later, she took her own life. And it's like, um, Back when I was in high school, if that happened, well, first of all, whoever was standing there saw it. No one else knew. This girl had it all over the world. So she was humiliated. And my guess is if that would have happened back in the 80s, she wouldn't have taken her own life. I agree with you. I mean, I don't know for sure. If she I don't know either. Not, but I'm just I, guessing. But yeah, but I agree that that this is a huge problem is that their lives. What was that show? It was like the 
when that that it was like what what was his name? He was being recorded all the time. It was a movie Truman Show or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. It was with yeah. Jim Carrey. With Jim Carrey, yeah. Yeah. I oftentimes yep. wonder if if some of our kiddos feel like they're living that movie. Interesting. Because they're so they like everything they do at any time could be being shared. Well, and teachers too. How many kids have their phone out filming some teacher that makes some statement from World War II that or something that sounded discriminating, and next thing you know, somebody's filming them, and then it shows up just a out of context. Yeah. On social media, and then the teacher's like, you know, fired or or you know. But yeah, this social media thing is something I talk about almost with every guest and we don't get any closer to finding uh, ways to fix this problem because it's actually just getting worse. Um, it's like, you know, we're so, we're so um, connected with everybody. I mean, I could, I could talk to you through email, telephone, I could text you, I could Facebook you or uh, FaceTime, I could LinkedIn you, I could, you know probably more Instagram, Snapchat. I mean, I've got 50 ways I could personally reach you. Um, and yet kids today feel so alone. Exactly. They're, disconnect- they're disconnected with themselves, but they know more people than they probably sh- can even handle in, in their head. You know, we, we didn't have that. You and I didn't have that problem. We couldn't know too many people. Mm-hmm. And now, now you have strangers making comments about your looks you don't even know and that that just i don't know i i'm not trying to be you know critical of progress but man there's certainly some collateral damage with this stuff uh, so i think there is too i mean when you're constantly looking so you know as you know as a 56 year old man and i'm a middle-aged woman as well i just should <laughs> i shouldn't have done that i'm sorry What's that? I shouldn't have shared your age. I'm sorry. I, listen, anybody who follows me pretty much knows everything about my okay. life. So I don't put I don't put my social security number out there, but everything else they know okay. about. So yeah, well, well, and I'm 45, so I'll, that, that'll make it fair. Middle aged. I would have accepted middle age would have been fine. Okay. <laughs> um, I think we know at this point in time in our lives that it is impossible to um, not feel lonely or to mm-hmm. feel. F- totally fulfilled if we don't like know ourselves and love ourselves first, right? Really can sit with ourselves in a space and, and not feel lonely, but it Mm -hmm. takes work to do that. And I think, I think when, again, when you think back to when we were growing up and how much alone time we had to spend with ourselves, any kind of an interaction, right? We, we were forced into getting to know ourselves because of that. I mean, I was a latchkey kid. I came home and I was by myself for hours sometimes before anybody else came home. All of this is to say they have grown up in a way where they're connected to all these people, all these, all this at all times through their phone. Mm -hmm. And they're constantly being fed likes and dislikes, like being judged right. with every single yep. thing they say or do or post. Boy, isn't that the truth? And wow. I mean, I think we're just beginning to start to unravel like what that does to our brains and how that impacts our emotions and our ability to know ourselves and get connected to ourselves and to love ourselves and not be lonely when we're just with ourselves. So what's the first step for a kid who's, you know, um, needs to slow down. And, you know, I mean, the the easiest answer for me, because this seems to work on me is meditation. But, you know, if I tell a kid to go meditate, I might as well tell them not to, you know, because most kids aren't going to listen to adults in the first place, especially Um, a parent. But, but, you know, if you could get, I think the Dalai Lama said the Dalai, and this is in my book, the only reason I know this quote, Dalai Lama said, if I could get every, um, kid or maybe he didn't age like every eight-year-old to meditate in the world i could eliminate in one generation i could eliminate world violence or something to that effect yeah if you get every kid every eight-year-old in the world to start meditating in one generation he could eliminate violence yeah i mean i lost you by the way like i can't see you anymore but that's oh that's okay no that's right i'll just i'll just talk to my screen but yeah i mean i'm still i'm still here so yeah this is fine um I 
Okay, so you you asked me this question that I think is super important for us to like highlight. So when we're thinking about like um, risk factors and protective factors for youth uh, mm-hmm. and association with mental health, like we do know what you know what our really solid protective factors are and what risk risk what we have to watch for in terms of risk factors. Mm-hmm. And you know, you was like, so what what should we do? Well, one of one of the greatest protective factors is getting kids involved in different types of activities, Um, whether it's club or, you know, or school activities, it really does force them for the most part to put their phones down and have to learn how to listen to coaches and organize a Mm -hmm. schedule and work with teammates and work across differences and build on each other's differences in order Mm -hmm. to complete a certain task, whether it's show choir or, um, it's something that you're doing collectively with a group in terms of like an art project or football or cross country, like wh- whatever it is, we know that that is a huge protective factor. And it's also mm-hmm. getting technology out of their hands for a little while. I think that transition from high school to college is brutal for kids because if high school is hard enough as it is in the most yeah. structure you'll ever have in your life yeah. around your own friends more than you'll ever be in your life. If that is a problem, when you graduate high school and you're thrown out to the wolves, you know, literally overnight and you're on your own, talk about a traumatic event, you know, for a lot of kids. It is. I mean, it's, it's a huge transition. I mean, we hear this from student athletes a lot, you know, kid kiddos that want to go into college to play a sport. And then Mm -hmm. if it doesn't work out, you know, they report higher rates of, feeling anxious and depressed and not knowing where they fit into this world. Um, and I think sometimes too, that when you make a transition from something, you lose your identity. Mm-hmm. So maybe a football player is identified as a football player. My middle son, Ian's a golfer and he's mm-hmm. at his last year at South Dakota. So he was the number one ranked golfer coming out of high school oh, in the state wow. of Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he was a four-year MVP at Prairie and set all these records. And basically, Ian Johnston was identified as a golfer. And yeah. he's on his last he's on his last run at college, and he's decided he's not going to try the professional route. And I kind of wonder, you know, if he's going to struggle. But what he did is he replaced that void with this resale shoe business that he just absolutely loves now. So he. I gave him some money to start a, a shoe um, business out of his apartment. And there's a, there's a community of kids that buy and trade like, you know, Jordan, yes! all these shoes. I love it's that. freaking huge. So huge. he, he has like 170 pairs of paid off shoes in his apartment that is starting in May. He's opening up tribute kicks at Coral Ridge mall. Yep. So he signed the lease and him and his business partner. And I said, Ian, I said at 22, never have an employer, man. You're an entrepreneur. That's your dream. Mm -hmm. So we're going down and he's starting his build out and met with the banker and set up his corporation. And so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to guide him through this. I don't want to do it for him. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, but again, there's an example where his identity was golf. He found a really quick pivot. So when golf is over, he can go right in and now kind of be known as the shoe guy. And I think for a lot of kids, when they leave high school or leave anything that's got their identity, you know, they're identified with their identity and you lose that. Yeah. It's terrifying for kids. Terrifying. And they just go right down a rabbit hole real quickly. And it's like, I, I'm, I'm depressed because I'm not a football player anymore. I'm not a basketball player. I'm not in show choir. My, my youngest son, Roman kind of went through that when show choir ended. Mm-hmm. That was, that was like the great, he, he could do show choir eight hours every day. The rest of his life, he'd be a happy kid. Yeah. I have, yeah. The, the show choir thing is intense, man. It I is. Have show he choir loved kids, it. But, but there, but I have friends who have show choir kids and yeah. it is, I mean, it is a real, like you said, it is, it is their identity. But the kids that like it, they oh really God. like it. It's and a it drug, so a good drug. Primitive. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So I think this takes me back to like a, me thinking, like having this conversation with you, I start to think about not doing a very good job of explaining to our kids that life is a paradox. And so are we, we are not one of anything I can be, we, we are everything. 
There are times when you're going to be super honest and truthful in your life. And there are going to be times when you find yourself being very deceiving. Mm -hmm. This is human nature. Like Mm -hmm. there are going to be times, you know, you, you are not just a jock or maybe I shouldn't use that term or just, you know, just an athlete ever. There are other parts to yourself and maybe you haven't even found those parts yet, but there are other pieces and there are other parts to yourself. Don't let ever. And I think we need to do a better job of telling our kiddos, like, don't ever let anybody box you in like that. You have so you're going to have a huge, long lasting life and you get you get to have an opportunity of exploring all of these unique and beautiful things about yourself that are all very different. Yeah. And I remember a time when my two boys were, I don't know, probably like 13 or something and 15. And one of them was having a tough time with something. And uh, I said, and people who follow me know this story. I say it almost every time I talk. Um, is that I said, um, do you remember the time in third grade when you came home and you were crying and you were just devastated and you just didn't sleep? And I said, do you remember what you were upset about that moment? Do you remember that day? And he said, no, I don't. I said, that's my point. Yeah. That was just five years ago. It's like five, six, seven years down the road, you're not going to remember probably 99% of every problem you have right now you'll have different problems. You'll have more, less, similar, but they'll be different. And that's that evolution of yourself as you go through life. And kids look at the moment. Ironically, they don't really live in the moment, but they overlive in the moment. You know what I mean? That's the dichotomy. It's like, they're not at peace in the moment. They're in terror in the moment. It's like they're frozen by all the bad things that happen. So in a way they are living in the moment, but to a fault, but they're not present. You know, they're not really leaning into the moment. It's, do you understand what I'm saying there? It's they don't a difficult have the juggling act. Right. Perspectives. They a good don't word. have I the like perspective that. yet. So like, right. it's getting them to understand whatever happens to you. It's never as good as it seems. And it's never as right. bad as it seems either. And adults could learn from that too. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's usually somewhere in the middle. And, right. and the other thing I try to tell my, my kids, we have a, we had an incident that was a big incident when my oldest was a senior mm-hmm. and it was a nationwide incident. It was a meme mm. that went nation. Literally, I had a friend in DC that. Mm. Wow. And it was a mistake that he made. Yeah. And um, obviously, this was extremely upsetting to him and made him anxious and nervous. And, I bet. I bet. And you know, he's a seventeen-year-old kid, and right. um. I just kept telling and he didn't want to go to school after this incident mm-hmm. happened for obvious reasons. I mean, mm-hmm. you're going to walk into 1500 students having seen this meme. Mm-hmm. And you know, I wow. just kept saying to him, Griffin, this is going to pass. These kids, this is funny to them right now. And it's, <laughs> yep. it's, the, it's the highlight of the day. Potentially they'll get bored day. very quickly. But trust me, they actually don't think about you that much. Right. They have their own yeah. problems. They have their own issues going on, their own, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend issues and promise coming up and they're worried about their dress. Like this is going to blow over faster than you can possibly know it because actually nobody really cares about you all that much. And yeah, that's so true. I do. That's so true. Right. I'm your mom. I do. Right. But they really don't. So mm-hmm. just, you just got to remember that. And it's, it does pass. These moments pass. That's great perspective. That's, and it's true because if, if I'm in a group of people and the first one pulls out their phone and says, Oh, here's my son. Here's his baby. Here's their house. You're going to go, that's great. It's great. And then you immediately have to show yours Mm -hmm. and your attention for what they showed is, is just absolutely gone at that point. But we expect them to zone into ours Mm -hmm. and, and ask me follow-up questions, but I'm, so that's that, that's that, just that unrealistic expectations that we have in relationships is that we don't take the time to listen or hear someone else's, but we want everyone to listen to us. And again, that comes into us as the narrative, you know, Mm -hmm. we run through life behind our eyes, looking outwards. We never really see what it looks like from the other perspective, unless we see like a photograph. And then the first thing you do when you see a group photograph is what? You look at you. You do. You see how you yeah, it's like picture. it's yeah. like that's how that's how narcissist just how just how so predictable humans are. Yeah. Uh is everything's gotta always be about us. And if we can just try a little bit better 
at being more attentive to what other people are going through. Listen, talk less, especially with our kids. Instead of saying, are you depressed? Say, is there anything you want to talk about? Okay. You know, just if not, fine, that's cool. I get it. Maybe later tonight, you know, yeah. but are you depressed really gives a yes or no narrative answer. And that's just, mm -hmm. you know, is there something you want to talk about? It's a little more open-ended, you know? Um, I don't know. I mean, I made my share of mistakes and I think trying to learn from them. And so new, new parents coming up can look at what I went through. And if I'm, you know, in a position where I can share some of the, what I think maybe are choices I made during this whole journey, especially with Seth, well, even, even with, even with prudence, um, times opportunities I missed were now, and now that I know more about this stuff yeah. as an advocate for mental health, I know more about alcoholism. I know more about drugs that I could have, maybe I don't play guilt. I mean, I, I, I'm not gonna lie to you. I do have guilt, but not to the point where it obsesses me to a point where I get sad about it. It's like, okay. My guilt's like, what could I learn from the mistakes that I made? Not if I'd done X, would yeah. he still be alive? I don't play that game. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So you just described like the difference between like guilt and shame. So like you don't have shame mm. because shame is like, it's, it's different. It's a different thing where we think it's, it's, it's something that's, that we are wrong. We like, there's something wrong with who we are fundamentally as a human being and that's shameful to me. Hmm. But like guilt is something where I feel guilty about doing that or handling it that way, but I can learn from it and change it. It's like something interesting. I've never heard that explained like that. Yeah, but in and so it's, there's there is a difference between like guilt and shame and I think that that's healthy what you just said because I feel the same mm -hmm. way. Like I'll look back on different things that I did and said or didn't right. do with my kids right. and I'm like, "Ugh." Right. <laughs> they still like me. <laughs> yeah. I actually recently, I guess it's been almost a year. I had both of the boys in my office one day and Griffin was over here for something. I was probably grocery shopping at my house. <laughs> he comes over here to, to buy his groceries. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. Why not? <laughs> that makes, that makes sense from his perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I mean, it's fine. I love having him over, but, um, <laughs> something came up and they were both in my office and I was like, and it re reminded me of something I did or said that I felt guilty about. And I, so I mm -hmm. did, I turned to them and it was, I think it was like the first time really that I looked them in the eye and I was like, I'm really sorry for a lot of the stuff that I did when I was a single mom and trying to raise you. And I was so stressed out and I feel like I didn't spend enough time with you and that I had a short temper and mm. I just raised my voice at you guys way too much. And I just like let it, I just gave myself like this opportunity to apologize for not always being my best with them. And right. And I wasn't expecting anything in return. I really wasn't because right. because they don't owe me anything. Um, sure. But it was a good conversation. I think it opened up this conversation of like, how can you make choices in your life to not get you in a situation that I was in trying to raise you to by myself and feeling stressed out all the time? <laughs> There's something so liberating about forgiveness. Yeah. I mean, just to let go. I've I've got a lot of anger that I found out this weekend that I didn't know I had because I'm not a violent person. Um, not even, I haven't been angry in years that I can remember an event where I've been mad just in literally in years, probably since I quit drinking, which has been five years ago. I don't think I've been mad, but, but this weekend I just felt there was a, there was a rage inside of me. And I think it's a, a combination of a lot of things but some of it's from just this, these walls I've built up over myself yeah. over the last 10 years of my life where people that have tried to penetrate these walls to either become a friend or be nice to me, or I, I've, been, I've just got this habit of kind of pushing people away. But then simultaneously, I complain about being isolated and being alone and all that, which I, I have more human friends I've ever had in my entire life right now. But I feel sometimes real disconnected like that Gen Zer does, where I have more, got a podcast, I do all my stuff, but it's like, 
there's just like this sense of, and that came out this weekend through my exercises. And I just like, it was very liberating to forgive myself, to give, yes. to not to stop apologizing to people, stop saying, I'm sorry. And just, no, I don't apologize anymore. I, I did what I did based on the information I had at the time I had it in my life. I have no more apologies. I couldn't have been a better dad or a better husband. I did what I did. I'm here now. I've got good life ahead of me. I don't want to waste it. And I think if we all had that mindset, instead of just playing too many what if games and give yourself permission, yes. to cry, to cry, be angry, whatever emotion you need to get you to that next level or even ne even to the next day, yeah. just get there, worry about all that stuff when you get there, but really focus on self healing. And, you know, we talk about the kids so much, but I think parents are just, I'm just, I'm no, I mean, I need just as much self-care as anybody on the planet. Yep. And I'm a mental health advocate. So I'm supposed to be like the one dishing out the, mm -hmm. the advice. And it's like, man, I, I'm so far from feeling that way. I don't feel like I'm giving advice to people. I feel like I'm, I'm researching. I'm like recon. It's like, I'm, I'm a big sponge. I want to learn, keep learning more about things because if we had this shit figured out, I wouldn't even be having this podcast. I mean, I wouldn't be doing any of this stuff if we had this fixed. And I know my passion's kids, but us parents are just as culpable in all this as anybody else, you know, and we all can get better. I can become a better podcaster. I can become a better friend. I can become a better son. Um, and that, that desire to keep improving that can be infectious. Other people can feed off of that, mm -hmm. you know, and you can, you can really be kind of in a way positively viral with the way that you emanate your energy, you know, For sure. negative people, you know what it's like when you're on negative people, they just suck the energy out of you. And then that's you know? when you do have to set boundaries and pull away. I mean, right. you can, toxic friends for kids are huge, huge and learning how to, you know, you can set boundaries and still like a person. You don't want to mm -hmm. hurt them. you, but also know that you can't let them in your life in certain ways because mm -hmm. they drain you. Right. And that's a really hard thing. You know, there are some people who are, you know, really fun or who are, or who are in your family, but you'll just know that every time you're around them, you walk away feeling empty. That relationship probably isn't serving you very well when that happens. I remember a long time ago, my wife had a friend that, when we were first dating, that was her best friend. And, um, she just was in a bad place and she was very negative and it affected our relationship. Cause you know, we, we were all drinking back then. And so, you know, we'd go out, everything's great until it isn't, you know, and somebody brought up something or walked out of the room and next thing you know, the night ends and somebody arguing and just, it was t very toxic. And finally I said, this friend of yours is a emotional vampire. Mm -hmm. And so they seem nice. They lure you in. And then they just take their fangs out and get into you. And I said, you need to fire your friend. You need that to get rid of this friend. A, I'm going to yeah. totally steal that. It's so You got to fire your friend. You're not obligated to have that friend. There, and even your family members, you can fire them too. You're not obligated for anybody other than yourself. Yeah. You know, and we let too many people pull us around like puppets, you know, and I'm, I'm just as guilty as yeah. anybody else that I talk to. I've, I've allowed people to manipulate me and I probably manipulated people in my life as well. But there's a lesson to be learned in everybody's experience. And I think my excitement about what I'm doing is that I get to share what I've been through and then take some things from you and from the next person I meet and put all that together when we talk to kids and stop kids from dying. It's just, yeah. they'll take that to my grave. That's the, that's the one thing I just can't accept is kids being unhappy and kids giving up and kids dying. So somebody's got to draw a line in the sand. Yeah. And I think I really do believe that one of the places we have to start is looking at is a, at adults and helping adults because 100%. adults can't help children if they're unwell. 100%. And so that's why, you know, I work, I play in the world of, of schools. So that's why a lot of the work I do is focused actually on educators and then teaching educators how to translate that knowledge into the classroom with, with children. Um, but yeah, if, you know, if you're unwell, you're not going to be able to take care of your children. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's like an impossibility. Even if you think you are like when you're unwell, you don't even, you don't even know what you don't know because you, you're not able to think properly. Your body isn't able to function properly. 
Yeah, I look back at, um, it was a group of parents I was talking to one time, and I don't remember exactly which order I did this, but I basically asked a question, how many people in here drink alcohol, you know, and a lot of hands went up, and I said, how many people have kids that have a drinking problem? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the same hands went up, and I said, how many parents want their kid to quit drinking? Raise their hand. Okay. Do you think you quitting drinking would be the first thing to do to get your kids to drink? And I will tell you right now, if there is one thing that I can say, really two things, allowing my son to take Adderall, that's on me. I could have easily have not had that happen, but I allowed a doctor to tell my son he had a disorder and that was that. The other thing was I was an alcoholic during my son's journey of addiction. Mm -hmm. I have to live with that. I didn't have the courage to quit drinking myself. I did after he died to help my wife. Mm -hmm. um, but I should have, I should have at, at that point, but I can't go back. Who knows? Maybe it wouldn't have made any difference at all. I just would have been sober quicker. But the fact is, um, I missed that opportunity. So I have now that window of opportunity now for my two boys that are still here. Um, and my friends, I have, I've had more friends, Carrie, that have given up alcohol in the last five years because I did. And I'm not saying I'm the reason, but I was the one who started it. That sober thing was cool. I'm the one that had NA at the Super Bowl. I'm the one that, you know, ordered, had a podcast on my top 10 NA beers. You know, I embraced my, my non-drinking and a lot of my friends, my age, especially men started thinking, well, maybe I'll drink NAs with you when you come over to watch and have a cigar, Jeff, watch football. It's like, it became cool for middle-aged men to sit around, smoke cigars and have non-alcoholic beers, you know? So and then if you look at the NA space right now, it's massive. It's, it's blowing huge. up. It's, it's huge. In fact, I've it's read huge. multiple articles over this past year about how this new generation, Gen, Gen Z, is yeah. like when we were growing up, like smoking became like this gross thing that like, yeah, it was like a tab. Yeah. It's like taboo almost like, oh, right. don't do that. You know? Right. Right. How like they are predicting that. Gen Z is that's the way that they are thinking about alcohol. Like I would their agree thoughts with that. about alcohol are yep. like that's not cool actually. Right. And I'm they're replacing that. it with vaping though. That's yeah, the problem. Well, this is the, yeah. Right, that's what I was gonna say. And I'm not saying that they But are I'm not greedy. I'm not greedy. Because <laughs> I think they are. But but Right. I'm, I'm not I, we don't need them to be perfect. Uh alcohol is is so destructive to society on all levels. And unfortunately it's so embraced by society as okay and um, I, I would rather have kids vape than drink alcohol Alcohol's for me. Pretty, um, the more that you read about it, the more you realize how destructive it, mm -hmm. it is. Yeah. I don't really hard. I mean, I, I don't not drink, but I mean, right. it's very rare and it's all my friends will attest to this. It's very, very <laughs> rare. in fact, it's normally like one drink, but I drink half that drink, but it's right. It, this happened after my mom died. So my mom died about mm. years ago and, um, going through a very bad time. And I, I just cut out anything that I thought was going to distract me from work, from working through my mom's death and grieving in a positive way. Mm, and I yeah, noticed like that. that when yeah. I would drink, like, yep. it just made everything 50,000 times worse. Like everything yeah. from my sleeping to my sadness, to my anxiety, my ability to exercise and interact with my kids in a healthy way. So I was like, I'm not doing this for a while. Yeah, but so see, you're, you're in the minority because most people, it's the other way around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's, way. it's numbing. You know, I did, I drank after Seth died for 14 months and it was all just to numb my pain. Mm -hmm. I knew it wasn't good for me, but I couldn't stop until I stopped, you know? But I have a little bit of an unfair advantage because I've been playing in this world for quite yeah, a I long haven't time. <laughs> so like, I was able to be like, okay, like Carrie, come on, put your academic. You knew the outcome. Yeah, you yeah. knew the outcome. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's why. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I've, I've enjoyed this immensely. Um, I never know when I do these kind of where we're going to end up because, um, I've been on podcasts before where they'll send me the script, you know? Yeah. And, and I just, I'm always uncomfortable in that. I feel confined, you know, structured. It's like, I just soon talk. And I think people, when I watch, when I listen to podcasts, I like the ones that are not structured. Yeah. I just, I mean, I've, I've really enjoyed myself. I love this. I love just having yeah. a conversation and hopefully people well, 
think it's helpful. You know, doing the podcast for me now going on three years has been arguably the best benefit COVID gave me because right. I'm, I was finishing up my book, uh, Seth died in 16 and my book came out in 20. So like in, when was, when did COVID start? What year? 2020. Okay. The spring like, of 2020. Okay. So my book was in the fall, like late fall, I think. Yeah. It's like, like, yeah, it was September. It was Seth's birth month. We launched on or it, whatever word I had it done, um, published. There you go. Um, and, um, but when I was writing, it was during COVID when things were really starting to shut down and I kind of got done with the book and I thought, what's next? And yeah. I never really was into podcasts. I mean, I caught a few, but now it's like everybody and their cousin has a podcast. It seems I like, know, but it's so funny. I know and it's great. Cause you can really podcast. find good ones. What's that? <laughs> I said, and you're going to be on my podcast. <laughs> I'm excited that I'm, that's going to be great. They turn the lens on me for a while. Um, yeah, but no, it gave me an opportunity to meet people um, at a point when, you know, I, I wasn't meeting people and I just lived in my house with my two boys. And, you know, just, I think it allowed me to kind of do the social guy like going to the bars without going to the bars and not yeah. having to drink. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. It allowed me to really pick who I wanted to hang out with too. Cause I, I invite people based on conversations I have with them by accident, maybe in a zoom meeting or so, Hey, do you want to be on my podcast? Sure. I'd like to get, you know, you better type thing. And you don't have that environment with COVID. You couldn't do that. So I think COVID in hindsight, looking back is going to be one of, you know, obviously I never had anyone die. Yeah. Or I wouldn't say this, but it's one of the best things that ever happened to me in my life because it really got me to focus on things that I would never have done. Yeah. I think it's okay to say that. I mean, I know that there's lots of people who like have feel guilty about saying right. that. Right. But because people have died and I don't yeah. want to make them feel yeah. like I'm not compassionate for that. Right. And it's, and, and, you know, it's, it's, you know, we can always recognize that and like how horrible it was for people and, and how many lives were lost. And it's okay to also think about some of the positive things that happen in our own experiences and our own mm -hmm. lives because of, of that event. So yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. I feel the same way. I mean, I, I got to do some things with my kids and spend some time with my boys and restructure kind of how we do life in a way that I mm -hmm. think was, has been really, really healthy for us. Yeah. It's all about do <clears throat> things happen to you or do things happen for you? You know, and COVID happened for me and even death in a way has happened for me. And that's the only way I can reframe it. Cause what other way can I reframe it? Um, and that's why I was talking about this weekend about, um, I, I know people that follow me know this story. So if you know this, I apologize, but I had a lady reach out to me on Facebook one time that said she had survivor's guilt. She's yeah. just really her son. I think her daughter died. And she feels like she should have died. She wasn't there, et cetera, et cetera. And she had either saw me speak or saw a post I made. And she said, Jeff, you know, what would you recommend I do for survivor's guilt? And my first thing was, I'm not a doc. I'll ask Carrie. She's a doctor. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know shit about this stuff. I'm just, I, I, I like I said, I'm just a dad from Iowa. You know, it's like, I don't know. It's like, what's free? What's inexpensive? What's, what, what's logical? So I just said, why don't you, the next time you think about it, just say you have survivor's opportunity. Mm -hmm. Just, just, just try that. Mm -hmm. And she got back to me after a week and said, oh my God, you wouldn't believe how my mindset changed when, whenever that guilt came over me, I thought it's an opportunity. It's not a, it's a window to some other place. It's not a door blocking me yeah. from moving on, you know? And, That's um, great advice. Yeah. And I'm not a doctor shit. It's just all that came up on my mind. Cause I like to reframe. I got this mm -hmm. thing I learned back from my college days when I let it, learned about stoicism was this ability to look at anything and find not rhetorically, you would say, Oh, find something positive, but that sounds so cliche ish. But to me, it's like maybe taking one word out and just replacing another yep. or reframing it. And that, you know, that helps me when I go through whatever I go through just to play that little, little mental trick. It's again, it's free. It's not, there's no label. There's no stigma. There's no insurance claim. There's no diagnosis. Um, there's no judgment. It's just a way to trying to trick your brain to not play the narrative that, you know, whoever came up with the term survivor's guilt, you don't, even if you're diagnosed with it, you don't have to, yeah. you don't have to accept that narrative. You're always free to tell yourself a new story. Well, you know, that's like, what I was going to say too. Like it's, it's this, I, it's tr truly, realizing that really 
It's all about the stories you tell yourself. 100%. Your feelings are real, but what right. kind of story are you wrapping around that? Because mm -hmm. you can wrap any story you want to around whatever you're experiencing for the good or for the bad, you know, like, mm -hmm. and it's exactly what you just did. You know, your story was just it's the same, but it's just a different perspective. <clears throat> well, and you know, the whole idea with loss aversion and how we attribute pain more with losses than feeling good does with gains. And the best example I tell somebody is if you find a $20 bill on the street, you're pretty happy. Right. But if you lose a 20, you're like devastated, you know, and, and it's the same 20, but you know, and investing is the same way. If you have, when I used to give run my investment company, you know, if I had 10 investments with you and eight did really well or just good, you made money, but two lost 20% of their value. All you're going to want to talk about is the 20% that did bad, not the 80% that did great. That's what you hired me to do was to collectively make you money, the losses and the gains together. You still made money but your attention's on the bad stuff. And that's how we're wired. And so adults, kids, male, female, whatever, during the course of our day, we're probably going to gravitate to the road of least resistance. And that's negativity. It it's easier terrible. to be negative. And we create know? bonds over it too, which is super toxic. Yeah. So. Well, this has been great. I enjoyed this conversation. I'm looking forward to being on, uh, what's the yeah. name of your podcast, by the way? The Scanlon Center for School Mental Health podcast. Okay. <laughs> That's unique. <laughs> yeah, yeah, super creative. <laughs> and you'll have to ask me questions so we we can go down different roads and stuff or whatever you want to talk yeah, about. Yeah, well, because I do mine in a similar way. I just send over the person who's going to be on like some questions that I want to like explore with them. And then Perfect. we always end up going in different directions. So. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Whenever you want me to, I'm, I'm there. So yeah, sounds great. Um, Anyway, people, if they want to reach you or can they reach you? Like, are you on LinkedIn, Facebook, yep. all that stuff? Yep. And so Scanlon Center for School Mental Health, we have our website. So if you just Google Scanlon Center for School Mental Health, then our website will pop up. And we're also on um, Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook. Dr. Carrie Vogel G. Sang. Yeah, you did a great job. Right. Good job. I had, I had to practice a few times. Um, <laughs> Well, it's been great. Really enjoyed it. And I'm um, looking forward to reciprocate. Okay, perfect. We'll see you soon.